Unhinged No Hope, the podcast. Ugh, on Broadway, everything is smaller. Hello, good afternoon. Welcome back to No Hope, the podcast. Hey, with kids. With our very special guest, Busy Court. That's me. Woohoo! Hi, Busy. Hi, boys. Welcome back. You know, it- I mean... I can't say that I'm excited to have her back. I know oh. you told me to leave after we recorded the last episode, <laughs> but I just decided not to. Just get out of the Zoom already. Ugh. Make me. Um, it's a it's a pleasure to have you back, Busy. Of course, and it's I feel like really excited about um, uh, talking about this stuff with you. It's um, you know, it's it's again, it's like every once in a while, Busy and I will get on a phone call, even when we're not actively like working on something together, and just kind of talk about what we're doing. And some of it's not about writing; some of it's just about life and you know, shit. But it always feels like invigorating. And I, of course, I'm experiencing that same thing right now. I'm like, I want to just like, of course, I want to get back into teach me to sing because I'm a, I'm a sucker for punishment, and I never give up on anything, and I'm a horror. And both of you are like, I can't fucking talk about that musical any fucking more. Um, but alas, that's, you know, let's let's let we're, we've we've talked enough about that, I think. So we're going to do a couple of rewinds. Rewind. Um, this this one uh, is about Jesus Christ Superstar. Tim Rice is indeed British. Wait a minute. What was <laughs> that's a question? What did you say question? that he was in the other episode? We well, were just like Tim asked thing- about it because we were talking about Jesus Christ Superstar, and he's like, he's British, and my no, knee jerk the was reason, like, oh, oh, the reason we were talking about it is because the the musical premiered on Broadway, not in England, not on the West End, and I was like, well, that's curious. Like, why would it premiere on Broadway if both of the writers were British? And then we kind of realized that neither of us could c- definitively <laughs> confirm that Tim Rice was British. <laughs> well, <laughs> so- you got in my head there because it made me question things. Because I'm like, well, that is weird that it went to Broadway first, but. And then we were also talking about the fact that hair. We were like, was hair before or after? And hair was also uh, hair also came into the scene in 1970, so actually oh. the same year as be- Jesus Christ be- Superstar. Because have you seen the movie Busy of Jesus Christ Superstar? Oh yeah, it's so fucking like it's like a trip. And I was talking about how it starts with all like the hippies and like the love bus and everything. And then we were like, I feel like they were trying to like sort of inject some like hair into. Uh, into the film. So that's sort of how it came up. It would still be interesting to know which, like if one of them happened to sort of thieve from the other in any sort of way, or if that was just like the environment of the late sixties mm-hmm. and in 1970. And that was just kind of the films that were, I don't know. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that busy? Like, do you know anything about that? Well, as a person who was born in 1984, I have a lot of <laughs> yes. thoughts about the year 1970. Bitch. <laughs> 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 my youth is my power. <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to say, um, because Schneider had said that the last, uh, 
production on Broadway was in 2000, which is something that he saw of Jesus Christ Superstar. And that, while that production did indeed happen, so you were not like on some other planet, <laughs> there was also a 2012 revival, I, which really? I do not remember. I attended. I do not remember. I attended <gasps> the invited dress for the 2012 um, Jesus Christ Superstar on Broadway, during which Jesus or Judas or somebody got stuck in the air and they had to like, you know, stop and yeah. take them down and, you know, rework everything. Really? And that to me is always the biggest thrill is like something goes wrong in the invited dress and the audience just like the energy of the audience is so excited because everyone's like, oh my God, we're the only people on earth who are ever going to see this mistake happen. It's so fun and cool. And then they like rewind and then they like, go back and like do it all again. And you're like, wow, it's really silly to hear them be so dramatic two times in a row. Cause you're like, you can just feel, you're like, oh, they're faking it, they're actors. But when you see it in the first time, you're like, oh, this is really happening. And then you're like, no, they're just doing their jobs. They're just very good at what they do. But yes, <laughs> I've that's seen what amazing. I remember that. I've, I've seen some onstage mistakes before where like the, like even in like, not in previews, yeah. like during shows I think, and stuff. I think like Shrek was the other one I saw had to come to a stop. They had a big moving set piece that was like a castle or something that I think gave them trouble for a lot of shows. And they'd have to like just stop in the middle. It was like uh, in fun. The first time I saw Fun Home, which I saw it multiple times, uh, there was like an issue, like, um, and they had to stop and restart. But it, but it For is like fun kind of home. I know. Yeah. But, but like, what? I, I don't remember. Did, did something happen is, to but, the Ring of Keys? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this song we specifically talk about this Ring of Keys. How could you forget this fucking the prop? Ring of Keys? No. Um, <laughs> I don't. I honestly don't remember. It was yeah. Some. I feel like maybe something comes out of the ground. Um, because it, it was definitely in circle in the square. Now you're making right. me question this and be like, well, maybe it was once on this island, but no, I'm pretty sure it was fun home. People get those sure confused a lot. I mean, they're so similar. Those two shows. <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to say um, is "Guten Nacht" is not mm. actually a correct German phrase at all. There is no "n" on it, so I'm a fucking oh. idiot because I've done like five or six chapters of duolingo in german not i didn't get past that but i've done those five or six chapters like five or six times and i can't believe i still got it wrong as wow. much as i love the, the the language as confusing as the language is it's gute nacht there's no n which does mean good night i'm going to bed guten abend means Good evening, as in how are you and what a pleasant evening this is. So I was wrong on both references of German greetings. Both. Both well, of them I was wrong. I mean, I think what we're understanding and learning here is just how wrong we are. Like, we are we are clearly not experts in our professed field here. Like, to, further to that point, I you asked me, here's my rewind, you asked me, I think... I don't remember what we were talking about. You asked me if Bernadette Peters was in Follies, and I hedged, which is insane because I saw her in Follies. She had, yes, she was in Follies. She was in the 2011 Broadway revival, and she played Sally, which was like, which is like a major role. Is she, she sings, the one who loses her mind? Yeah, she sings in yeah. Body's Eyes and yeah. Losing My Mind, which is like probably the song most people like know of in Follies. So okay, so I have yeah. seen Bernadette Peters on stage then because I did see that production. Yeah, so that clearly was, that was why that came up. Clearly, yeah. it was not memorable to you, and even less to me because I remember her quite well in uh, 
in little night music, but yeah, I don't, I don't really have like a lot of strong memories of follies other than liking it. But I think I sat in like the last row and it was at this point a while back. Um, and you know, it's Stephen Sondheim. So it's forgettable. Let's not go Um, there. Okay. So let's actually busy you. I don't think that we talked about, there was a couple of like musical questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, First, what is the first live musical you saw that you can remember and where was it? Mm, um, I think that it, oh, it could be one of two things. One, it could be in 1995, where on the day of the Oklahoma City bombing, my, oh my mom God. took my brother and I to Toronto to see the Phantom of the Opera at Pantages Theater. And on our Ooh. way back into the country, they had they had like agents come on the tour bus and it was like this whole thing of like there had been a terrorist attack while we were out of the country and both my brother and i remember that very clearly but then i also remember a touring production of hello dolly in my home theater in rochester new york starring carol channing that would have been in the early to mid 90s i think it might have been her last you know her last big tour or whatever you saw carol channing in hello dolly i did and that was also probably around a similar age of like i don't know like you know elementary school like um but i remember both of those really clearly and i don't know which one came first I just want to say that both of you have an advantage over little old me who grew up, like I said, in the middle of nowhere. Like I to go to a show was at least a four hour drive to Wichita. There were no shows that came through liberal Kansas except for I think I had referenced like, you know, like a Cinderella sort of thing that some really bus and truck touring company brought into the elementary (laughs) school and it was just cheesy as fuck but i remember watching those shows and and still being mesmerized in the little elementary school auditoriums you know but it wasn't for a long long time before i saw something that was actually like a real musical wow so what was your first broadway musical schneider i don't think you've answered this question either my first broadway musical you mean not a touring production your first Broadway musical. Well, that I means consider on Broadway. I consider a like a first national tour to be a Broadway musical. Tim Altmiller. It's not. What I'm saying is okay. Sorry. What was the first musical you saw on Broadway? I mean, that's going to be really actually tough. I may have to do some research because it was via. I had never been to New York until high school. At one point, I in a prior episode, I mentioned that I was part of a show choir in Carmel, Indiana, called the Ambassadors, and we went on tour um, to come to New York, but we didn't perform. Basically, we just saw a shit ton of theater for like a week, uh, which was amazing. Um, and we saw a bunch of stuff. We saw Jekyll and Hyde, which was terrible. Um, we saw bringing bring in the noise, bring in the funk with uh, Savian Glover, which was like really fucking amazing and cool. Um, we saw other things that I now forget. And then I think I went rogue. I think it was that trip. Let's just say that this was it. Um, I saw Cabaret with um, Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming. Yeah. Wow. And Natasha Richardson. 
I'm wondering about that. That might have been when I was in college. Um, I think that was later. I'm pretty sure that was later. Hmm. I think that was like when we met. Yeah, I think that because I, I also came to school. New York on a choir tour like for college. So actually, I think it was that that trip that I saw that show, uh, which I think I, I may need to talk in greater depth about that particular show uh, on another episode. Um, so let's just say, you know what? I, it was bring into noise, bring into funk, because I remember... We like basically just got off the plane and like took a bus from Newark into into the city, and I was like, ah, oh, like goo goo gaga eyed, you know. I'm like, oh my god, I'm in New York City the first time, and that was for sure. That that was the first show we went to, and okay. we were like had amazing seats. We were like third or fourth row, um, and we were, and it was you know this like major you know eclectic uh, which is i guess a weird first broadway show because it's not like it had like a book or like, right a, it, yeah, it is it's yeah, really cool yeah, it's a unique yeah. a unique yeah. first broadway oh first broadway musical by the way that's the question not we show also saw um oh my goodness uh funny thing happened on the way to the forum with Whoopi goldberg and she did a talk back to us afterwards so she came like yeah she like after the curtain call we all came to the front of the theater and she came and like talked to us for just you or just no 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 like our whole like choir but well no but your whole choir it wasn't like a massive like educational talk back no it was like literally just that's pretty amazing 40 of us like the people in the choir and the choir director and from carmel indiana yeah, I thought it was pretty like slick that like Whoopi Goldberg would like take time out of her day, you know. Like I yeah. was, I thought that was pretty cool. That is um, pretty cool. Yeah, I mean that was a few years ago, which I'm sure she would never do that now. But <laughs> you don't know that. Busy. Don't you judge Whoopi? Yes. She wears a different pair of shoes every day. Like she's not gonna fucking talk to a group of forty high school students from Carmel, Indiana, at this age, you know. <laughs> I mean, probably um, not. Busy, busy. What, uh, what was your first Broadway musical? I think I have a similar experience as Scott in that I believe it was high school jazz choir. I never got into show choir because Busy doesn't dance too good. Um, <laughs> but I think we had like a. I think it was like the show choir, the jazz choir, maybe even a, maybe there was an instrumental group who had who were all going to New York for some whatever, some festival or competition. Similarly, we then also all went to see shows. I believe I saw two shows, but I can only remember one, which would have been a revival of The Music Man. Which I think was the one with, was it Craig Bierko maybe? I don't know exactly who was in it. Um, and then what was the other show? No clue. Um, but I, I don't have like, I don't have like a super strong emotional memory about seeing that show. So I'm like, did it happen? It must have happened. God. That's interesting. I mean, I think, but yeah. I think, I mean, I, it's- I imagine probably. One of my thoughts was, so coming from Rochester, which has a really big roadhouse, like huge and um, physically huge, and to come to a Broadway theater, which I expected to be even bigger size-wise and like more intimidating and massive because you think Broadway, everything's bigger and not realizing on Broadway, everything is smaller because you're in the middle of Midtown Manhattan and you're not like in some old ancient, you know, theater that is in the middle of a city um that's so hilarious because i basically told the same like sort of 
experienced really? Tim the last time around. Yeah, like, he just I talked about this. I like, grew oh up seeing these ago. national tours in this like yeah. cavernous right. hall in Indianapolis. Um, and I that was like the norm for me. Yeah. And so then when we came to same, like when we came to New York and we saw shows, I was like flabbergasted. Yeah. <laughs> it was like at how like seemingly small they were to me. And I, I like, think the first what? time I had the experience of like hearing New York City traffic outside of the wall of the theater and just being like, What is this garbage? Like I <laughs> I can hear the taxis beeping, like, while Subways, I'm seeing a show. Like, sirens. why is this three times more expensive than going to see a show in, like, at the Auditorium Center in downtown Rochester, New York, where you don't hear any traffic ever, and it's huge and very beautiful? Um, yeah, that is interesting. I see. I didn't even. I wouldn't have even known about those places if it weren't for the Blue Man tour and like going and visiting some of those enormous venues in like Denver and Seattle and those places that now I know exactly what you're talking about because of course my experience was coming to Broadway was coming have not not having had one of those houses anywhere near me and so when I went to see um, my friend Clark, I was moving to New York for the summer and my friend Clark was like I'm going to come with you and I'm going to take you to see some shows and you know Clark Clark had a few dollars in his pocket so he paid for all the tickets and we went to four shows over the course of like five days and the two musicals that we saw were Showboat and Sunset Boulevard. Slow and boat. we were in, in, both of, in both of those musicals and in all four of the shows we saw, we also saw Arcadia at Lincoln Center and we saw Love, Ella, Compassion. Um, and all four of those shows, we were on like the eighth fucking row. Like we were wow. so close to the front of the, like to the stage. It was mesmerizing. And it felt like I said to me, it felt massive. I think I was like 24. So that was the first time that I saw a Broadway show, but, or no, I had seen one show previously to that, but uh, the first musical was, sorry, it was Showboat and, um, and Sunset Boulevard. So, wow. 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 I just remembered too, that I saw Chicago on that choir trip with BB Newworth. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And then we waited afterwards to talk to her and she was very dismissive of, of us. Well, so you saw BB. a lot of stuff. How long so, were you here, BB? I still love her though. Um, I, what do you mean? How how long were we here? Like how long was your trip? Yeah, you saw. Oh, a lot I mean, of shows. like it was less than a week, but it was like it was binging theater. I mean, yeah. we would see like yeah, like a matinee and then something in the evening. Like it was like that amount of theater. Um, it would probably cool. be really depressing to know what the price tag for that was then and what it would be today. Oh, totally. Because <laughs> I'm sure it was like group rates too. Because you know, Yeah, but like, I'm sure it was also like still a good chunk of money for, you know, yeah. for your family to spend on you. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it was no joke. Uh, so, so busy, let's, let's jump back into talking about, uh, we're here with Busy Koi in case you're joining us for the first time ever. And you don't know who Busy Koi is. Busy Koi is a writer, a professional writer, a copywriter. She works in advertising. She works. Uh, she 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 makes her living as a writer. She also just writes a shit ton. And she's a published writer in the New York New Yorker and other magazines and online as a. Um, what do you call yourself? A humorist? I don't. I don't know. Do you call yourself a humorist? Is that a word? It is a word, but I probably wouldn't call myself that. Okay. I don't know. It just sounds kind of a. Uh... Both old timey and also kind of like, like a like I think I'm Mark Twain or something. 
I was literally thinking Mark Twain. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but, but some of the stuff that you have written, and I wish that I had thought ahead and it to, to, you know, have something in front of me so we could reference it. Cause some of the stuff like I just am thinking about different, um, what, what was the, the Oscar or was it golden globes or Oscar other Oscar, um, Categories, right? I've actually I have one piece that's new Tony Award categories and one Tony and, and another piece oh, that's yes. new Oscar categories. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay, yeah. yes. I mean, like laugh out loud, oh, funny, so like sweet. very laugh out loud, funny. Um, we talked on our previous episode about our collaboration, Teach Me to Sing, which is um, our our adaptation or effort at adapting the Mary Kay Letourneau story. We're going to talk a little bit now about our second major collaboration which is also a full-length musical that is actually complete so again this is one of the reasons is it that but is it I, I, I mean it's complete i, yeah. I wouldn't say that that it doesn't require or, you know that we would i don't think any of us would say it's like done and it doesn't need any work but i think in terms of like uh how far along it is i think we would all agree that it is very close to being a piece of theater that if we had the ability to like produce it, we would, we would do it because we believe in it and it, and it works. And there's a certain amount of, you know, it's gone through the many iterations. Um, we started off, uh, well, who tell me about it. Someone tell me about it. Well, I'm talking to I have a question, which was how, how was this piece born? Cause yeah. my recollection of it is that in our, our very labored, laborious work sessions uh with teach me to sing that you know we all have a very similar sense of humor it's a rather dark sense of humor and we would you know we just sort of like swap stories about like real like fucked up things that happened in like the world like real things and you know we would just kind of like talk about this stuff almost as like asides um and then but what i don't remember is like how did it go from just sharing like oh my god you remember that to pageant mom in texas who like willingly gave her daughter uh willingly gave her daughter uh 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 tapeworm um to lose weight like i don't remember how it was like oh well let's actually set some of this really weird stuff to music. Um, I almost think for like that story in particular makes me think of, we did talk about that. I think when we were all having a writing retreat at Camp Coy, I believe that story came up. And then I know we were planning to put together a series of orphan songs and shorter pieces as a separate thing from our Teach Me to Sing musical. And I feel like that's when we said, hey, you know, it'd be good to blow out is that thing about the pageant mom who gave her daughter tapeworms because we did that. We did that piece just on its own without being connected to a larger piece in 2015, maybe. Yeah. When we did that thing, um, that thing, that thing. Um, at the cell. Yes, yeah, so when we did when we did uh, sweet, sweet something baby Jesus and the true orphan, tra- orphan tragedy. Sweet baby Jesus and the true orphan tragedies. Yes, but that was never um, intended think that, to be a, a full piece. I think that part of it was because I had been obsessed about the German cannibal story for such mm. a long time, and I had been trying to get Scott to write something, and he refused. And I think that when I saw us like like sort of coagulating around these different tales that were all sort of similar in that there was sort of, you know, they were kind of one trick ponies in a way. They were like one thing that was really fascinating about them, but you probably, 
would be a little hard stretch to write a full length musical about any of them. And I think that was how this project started, which, and then we were just looking for a way to connect them. And so we started out with an idea that I think, I don't know if it was me exclusively or Scott and I talked about like having this sort of carnival Barker character that would, would call up a little audience and, and then, you know, tell these horrible tales. And um, it was kind of fun, but dark and, and weird and almost like freaks. Do you know that movie? I think we talked about that, that black and white movie from, I don't know when it was the forties or something. It's a circus about circus freaks. It's really like sad actually and became controversial for its popularity because it was really displaying these people who were in many cases like disabled and you know had other like obviously major issues like surviving in the real world but it it was a that was kind of a reference point for me and uh so we tried that we tried that as all fall down right and we did we did those two pieces the, the the um the tapeworm mom and then we also did the woman on the toilet uh, a story about a woman who lived on her toilet in Kansas for two and a half years, which, you know, had held a special place in my heart. And then after that, we, we did a full reading at the duplex um, with a really great cast and wonderful cast wonderful cast um bonnie milligan um david webb who's who's lovely and has worked with us before and um wait why am i not thinking of allison's last name k daniels allison k daniels thank you yeah yeah yeah. um so we did that and you're terrible muriel and it didn't, it, you know, it was something, but it didn't completely land, right? It didn't completely sort of like stick together. So I don't remember how, how long was it before we looked at that again did in a, that whole different way? Did a reboot? Well, oh, it was after we, we did the year after. It yeah. was after we did the year after yeah. and we met Brittany Ann and we were like, oh my God, what if the the Carnival Barker was a young singer-songwriter, troubled singer-songwriter who happened to like look and act and sing just like Brittany Ann. And um, that was a huge source of inspiration for us. And so we started working on it again and we changed the name to Monsters. Good change. Very good change. Got a whole new show graphic, which is super cool. Oh my god, dark and Love, creepy, really and, cool. Um, yeah. As a quick aside, since we were talking about teach me to sing and revisions, I don't think there have ever been as many more revisions as Tim working on the woman on the toilet piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I worked on that quite a bit, there but was... it's in a really good place now. <laughs> <laughs> The amount of revisions for ultimately a twenty-minute musical, but um, but it was worth it. It was busy. Worth, it what was would worth- you say from like what was what are, what were the principal differences, or how did working together evolve between those two pieces? Like how you know how would you how did it change for you? And was it better? Was it different? Was it the same between Teach Me to Sing and All Fall Down slash Monsters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was like relieved when we started working on something other than Teach Me to Sing, just because that piece was such a hard nut to crack for all of us. And I think 
Although I think Tim maintains a lot of momentum over a long period of time for these projects, it's very hard for me to maintain the same amount of momentum and energy and motivation to keep going back and keep trying to solve the problem and keep trying to revise. Um, so I think I was like super burned out on Teach Me to Sing in general. So that when we these smaller ideas for these funny, weird, real-life stories started coming into our conversations... And we started trying to develop them into actual theatrical moments. I was like, oh, this feels so much better because we're not like, at least for me, I felt like I'm not like beating my head against a wall trying to solve an almost unsolvable creative problem. But like, for example, the first piece, I think it was the first piece we ever wrote that went into Teach Me or that went into All Fell Down slash Monsters was the pageant mom with the tapeworms. And I Miss Teen Tucky. Miss Teen Tucky. Tucky. And I remember so clearly when we decided that was a piece we were going to do and we decided I was going to write the first draft of it. And I remember just like cranking it out so fast. And I was like, I don't think I had ever written something so fast that felt to me so complete and like so satisfying. And, you know, of course, we went back and made revisions and changed things. But it was just such a completely. Yeah, but very. Yeah, very little. But very few. That like, piece I mean, was like bizarrely easy to write. And like li- reading the lyrics, I was like, I know exactly what this needs to sound like. The songs like. like beating my feeling like I was beating my head against a wall with teach me to sing to have that experience of just like we can, we had the perfect source material we were all kind of on board in terms of what the story was going to be and the general tone which is going to be very silly and very campy and like super just crazy And that it just clicked so quickly in the in the writing. Like, that was just a relief to have that experience. And then, yeah, passing it on to Scott and Scott getting exactly what I was thinking with the songs. And then us all kind of agreeing that it was the right tone and kind of what we were looking for. Um, that was a very satisfying experience. However, then I'll say the additional pieces that make, it, that make up the bulk of Monsters, for example, like... We have a piece in there that's inspired by the two teenage girls who stabbed their friend because they were told to do so by the mysterious character of uh, Slender Man. Slender Man. And like, that's a, that's a news story that's very compelling and a story I was very excited to sort of try to dramatize for the stage. But that was another moment of like hitting my head against a wall creatively. And Tim, you and I have had dozens of conversations about how to approach it. You've written versions of the script. I've written versions of the script. We've collaborated on versions of that script. I don't, I still don't think we've completely cracked that nut, 
But it's just interesting that there are certain times the puzzle pieces for me just fall into place. And other times, I'm so glad that we have each other to bounce things off of because it's truly challenging. And it's like, if it was just me trying to write it, I would either have like one version in my head and it wouldn't work. Or I'd be like trying all these different versions that like don't work at all. But to have the collaboration and the back and forth with you guys is very helpful when we have these like creative hurdles to jump over. Yeah, I would say it's mind bending for me, like that some people do it all, like music, book, lyrics, um, because I don't know, theater just seems so collaborative to me and everything you just said, like bouncing ideas off of each other. And I mean, not to mention that I don't write lyrics, but, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know, it just, yeah, it would seem, it would seem a very lonely task to me. And like, I would, I would have... I just feel like you'd have to be very confident too, um, because I would, I would, I feel like I would second guess things until I had an opportunity to put it in front of an audience. I don't know. Well, I think that if it was, if I was doing all three, I, it would just be like I would write like one short musical every like nine years. You know, I would just be rewriting it like endlessly until I felt like everything was perfect and it never would be. Well, I mean, with um, the, with this but, collaboration, there is also that that um, that you know, we all we all have like real lives and jobs, and so well, it's I mean, it's, well, I mean, we used to. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> but, who needs to make money, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah, who needs to live? Uh, but yeah, it, it, it has always been useful in the past that we could sort of like nudge each other or it's like, oh, I sent you that lyric a month ago. Oh, yeah. I'm, it, but my I, writing process is very much if I'm not like super, in, super invested and see so clearly what the solution is and feel so excited to tackle it, I will let something sit indefinitely. And having Tim especially to like keep prodding and saying like, hey, I think we should continue to work on this is really helpful and has helped me finish a lot more stuff than I would have otherwise. I love to start things, but I don't finish a lot. I think that it's, I just want to talk for just a second about the phenomena, which we're kind of touching on, which is sometimes you clearly see something exactly how it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. and you write it down and you, you have hit it like 95% in the park, you know? And like you said, busy, yes, you did rewrites, but they were, they were very minimal. I mean, very minimal. Same thing with music. I think very few changes. And then sometimes you uh, obviously the, the the other end of the spectrum is teach me to sing which you you don't feel like you ever you're you're in the you're in a range you're like in the 70 maybe the 70 percentile but you have never gotten above that um and then th- there are there is that other place which i think is probably i mean at least for me it's probably most of how i do things is i write terrible first drafts and it takes me sp- four or five before I would even show it to somebody. But at some point I realize, like, oh, I think I'm in that, you know, I'm very close to that 90, 95% range of where I want it to be or where I imagined it to be. So I think that that's just interesting. Like, and I do think, um, Teach Me to Sing is definitely on that one side of the spectrum. <laughs> Miss Teen Tucky is on the other side of the spectrum. And in general, Monsters is a lot closer, I think, to the spectrum where we we had a we knew what we were trying to do. And especially when we did that sort of reimagining of how the stories were going to be linked together and, and, and told by the troubadour, 
I feel like we're much, much more in that, you know, we're in the 90 percentile range of like where we, I think, collectively envision the piece to be. So, and, so that's exciting. And the difference between that and, and a teach me to sing to me is like when we have a piece, a, a small mini musical within Monsters and it doesn't quite work, we all agree and we can all kind of agree why. And there's just this sense of like, we all see the greater vision in the same way. And with teach me to sing, I think there's still so much, I don't know, confusion, disagreement. Those are even too strong negatives for what is really just like, we don't clearly see what the vision is over the horizon. So the changes we're making are almost like trial and error instead of being like clear strategic moves to get us closer to where we want to go. It's like, well, let's try this because we haven't tried that and let's see if it works. So it's a little, that's what's more challenging is I love the clarity of a piece like Monsters where it's like, I know for myself, I'm not super thrilled with how the story about the teenage slashers is, but I feel like knowing the foundation that we've laid with the rest of the piece, musically and storytelling wise, I'm like, I can see where it should go. And that's something we could reasonably achieve. Whereas Teach Me to right. Sing, is, in my mind, is still a big creative question mark. Right. It's that's, interesting that's too, though. That's I think true. this is a common experience oh, yeah. for people who, I mean, just writers in general. Um, and everyone, everyone has that tough nut to to crack project. I mean, I mean, even Stephen Sondheim, um, Tim's favorite, uh, Tim's favorite person, musical theater composer, lyricist, um, book writer. I mean, he had that show that he'd been working on for like decades yeah. that like again had multiple names i think i, I don't remember them right bounce. now i actually bounce like it wasn't called like road show yeah. or something like that um so i mean it is so it it's a comfort for me to know that like the preeminent like greatest musical theater writer of all time like he himself has a tough nut to crack so we we should you know, when it doesn't exhaust me, the prospect of it, we should probably keep writing Teach Me to Sing at some oh point. Oh, God, I'm busy that day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as of now, yeah, me too. For the foreseeable future, I'm busy yeah. that day. I got plans, guys. Sorry. But busy, you're busy every oh, day. Oh, yeah. Tim. Oh, um, wow. But I'm sorry. That's sorry, a, sorry, that's sorry, a good sorry. transition, sorry. right? I have one more, I have one more oh, quick okay. question before we jump on to the musical you love, Busy, because that's what we're here to... Oh. to uh, that's the, that's the piece de resistance is the musical you love. But I have one more question for both of you, actually, about what what is your routine when you know you need to sit down and be creative? What what would you say is the most important thing that needs to be in place when you are going to sit down and start writing, whether you're going to write lyrics, whether you're going to write dialogue, whether you're going to write a screenplay, um, but something creative, something uh, something that you're going to do for yourself. So not work, not an assignment, but something that you're going to do. You're like, I'm going to fucking sit down and write a screenplay or I'm going to write a song or I'm going to write a um, overture or a, you know, an entree act or something. What are the things that need to be in place for you? Well, I don't want to just jump in before you busy. Do you prefer? Okay. Jump you're in. Gonna, she's going to ruminate. She's going to ruminate. Uh, I mean, I feel, I feel like for me, my experience is likely very different than both of you because because in essence, I feel like I a little, I a little bit do write on assignment almost always because I don't write lyrics. I mean, 
in our entire 16 years of writing, I've written a grand total of one lyric um, about the demise of our relationship, Tim. Um, but yeah, I don't. So, I mean, I'll come to you sometimes with like ideas for songs and, you know, we're very collaborative in that way. But but since I'm a musician, like if I'm going to sit down, like I don't really just like sit down and just start like noodling on the piano. Like I kind of like need to have a lyric. Um, and so, yeah, usually if I get a lyric, then I read through it and then it will either like jump out at me or it kind of won't. Um, but if it does, then it's like, I have like little, I have like little traditions with, with myself. Like, you know, I, I might look at it electronically and just kind of like absorb it a little bit. But if I'm like, no, I'm feeling like I would, this is something I want to work on. I'll like, I, I, I'm a, like a paper person, even though like I, I work Me in too. software, like I print out a piece of paper and I have like a stack of, I have like a stack of pieces of paper of things that I want to work on at some point. So I pretty much have something within hand's reach. So whenever I do feel like I want to work on something, there's like something there. Um, and then for me, it's like certain, certain times are like sort of like more sacred to me in terms of being creative. Um, like, you know, I'm during the week, I, t I tend to be burned out in the evenings. I'm generally more of like a morning person. So for me, it's sort of like, yeah, it's like weekend mornings um, are usually more like sacred creative times for me. Um, that's everything that kind of like pops in my head. I mean, sometimes sometimes it'll be more voluntary than other times i would say too right sometimes it's just like oh i'm really feeling like i want to like create something today i want to work on something but uh other times it's like you know among the three of us we have some sort of deadline um, we have we there is something we're trying to accomplish by a yeah. certain time yeah which i yeah. find is yeah. helpful i don't i don't really buy into the whole like i must wait until the muse is speaking to me like no i i'm, I'm more like okay if i if I have an assignment and sit down and like, you know, it, it'll, I'll, I'll usually like get into the headspace that I, that I need. Okay. Busy. Well, unlike Scott, I am definitely waiting for the muse. Um, I'm, I've struggled a lot with like creative routine and process. I've gone through different periods where like, I'm very disciplined. Like when I wrote my novel, it was very much like, wake up every morning, I have my spreadsheet, this is the amount of words I need to write today, blah, blah, blah. And like being very, um, you know, forcing myself to sit down and work. And I guess that worked uh, to a certain extent, but it wasn't, it just wasn't sustainable for me in the long term. And I'm at a place right now well, especially with like all the pandemic stuff where I'm very much like not pressuring myself to do anything that I don't want to do. And um, I could probably use a little bit more pressure and a little bit more creative discipline. But I very much I, I really like to work when I just like have a great idea and I just want to do it. And I'm like super excited. It's like the exact experience of uh, the pageant Miss Teen Tucky mini musical of being like I know exactly what this is I have a vision I cannot wait to sit down and just like type as fast as I can and get it all out on paper um and when I'm not feeling that sort of drive it's very hard for me to sit down and just be like I'm just gonna write just to write like I just uh, I wish I could do that I I mean, I agree with you on that front, um, but I, I I just wrote down another thing, and and I 
I think I'm curious to talk to you both about this, even though um, we're, we're still ta- not talking about the musical you love, but <laughs> about writer's block, like uh, just the whole concept of writer's block. And I really, uh, as much as I would love to always be inspired, the one thing that I am have become aware of, uh, certainly as I've gotten older and as we have continued to work and, and definitely since working with you, Busy, um, I realize because I'm such a hoarder and I never let anything go, that if I'm not able to write on the thing that I'm supposed to be or that I, you know, that we're working on or that Scott and I are working on, there are like 17 other things that are just waiting. And so I will just open like five files at a time. And if I hit a roadblock on one and I'm just like, this isn't happening right now, I will go to that screenplay that I've been writing for seven years um, and I'll just start reading it and I'll start editing or I'll start rewriting or doing something. And so like I find myself, like I said, as I've gotten older to the notion of writer's block doesn't really exist anymore because there are so many things that I have never (laughs) finished. (laughs) And I still think those ideas are good. It's kind of like me, you know, cheerleading, teach me to sing. So, um, for me, it's night though. It ha- I have a, it, this pandemic has actually forced me to write during the daytime for like almost ever. Like I never, I hated writing in the morning. I hated that. I would like it needed to be dark out for me to feel creative, and that that definitely has changed. So that's our, look, our, look at our, that. Bright our sort side. of look like at the opposite side. work patterns in that sense have have worked out well because you you always had like Friday night designated writing time, and I'm like I'm like burned out by friday night yeah tim i never understood how you could do friday night work sessions totally whereas saturday morning i wake up it's like birds chirping like okay i'm like life is worth living again like (laughs) yeah and you and you have like 17 files that you've been sent at like 3 30 in the morning from me and then it's like like, no use this one no 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 no. use this one like (laughs) time stamp like 402 (laughs) a.m yeah i I love to get the two drafts in quick succession from tim the one at three and the one at 305. No, use this one. Totally. Yeah, totally. Exactly, totally. exactly. I was like, was that after you warmed up some sake in the microwave? <laughs> hey, I haven't warmed up sake. I don't think I've warmed up sake since Brooklyn, but I was thinking that about getting that, that out again. <laughs> no, I don't know why. I just had to say it because I always thought it was so absurd. Like he was, a, it was brief, but he, you got into like a brief kick of like drinking sake, right? During Hello, when we were writing Hello, my name is Billy, I would drink sake, like so much sake, like a bottle of sake. Uh, during a writing session and I would warm it up on the stove in one of those little things like a double boiler thing and I so, but just... it was it was a, it stuck in my brain because it was like a running joke as we were developing that show because we you know Tim would like deliver a new script and then we'd be we'd be like reading it with the actors and there'd be like significant words missing or misspelled and we <laughs> We'd be like, oh, that was the sake. Oh. That was must, the have sake been a, must have been late in the sake session. Oh, I can't get goodness. anything done with drugs or alcohol. It, I I need to be completely clear-headed. Otherwise, I'm like, oh, this is an excuse to go to bed early. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same as you, Pissy. Like, and oh, my God. Sense. Let's talk about Busy Koi, a musical you love. 
love. Oh boy, are you ready? Do I get a drum roll or do I just say it? Oh, I wish I. I we, well, maybe we can add one in. We can. We might be able to add. What one kind in. of a high tech operation is this? This is like everything else we've ever done. It's low rent. Low rent. That's what I but that's what I love about you guys. I think we share a low rent aesthetic. Like I've got like I have two pencils. No, that doesn't No, work. we can add I think we'll add one in. We can it's add too one late in. now. Don't do it. Okay. Give it to us. Give it to us. Speaking of low budget and low rent, a musical I love, <laughs> Bat Boy. Oh, <gasps> Yay. I don't know Bat Boy. Do you know Bat Boy? I do. Oh, good. Wow. I'm like, this is like, I totally, oh my God, I'm so excited to Oh, I'm to excited hear you, you agree with this. me. Um, the only research, quote unquote, that I did for this research intensive discussion was on uh, Wikipedia. So I really dug deep there, guys. But that's what we do. Thank I mean, you. We're, we're, we're hacks. That's all right. So I mean, you're not a hack, oh, I'm but a hack. we're hacks. Um, Tim, because you're not familiar, I'll give you the origin story of the show itself. Thank so you. in the early 90s, supermarket tabloids were like all the thing. Do you remember like going to the supermarket? I do. And it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. you know, Elvis oh, yeah. spotted in my bathroom. Um, Virgin Mary <laughs> Someone, on a piece so of and so toast. Had an alien, right. And so-and-so had an alien baby. Exactly. Oh, all of that stuff. Always an alien baby. See, kids today, they don't know what they were missing. It was the fake news of the 90s, you guys. So anyway, there was a supermarket tabloid called the World Weekly News. And they found that they sold more copies if they included this fake made-up story about the Bat Boy, who was a creature who was discovered, who was half human and half bat. Of course, this was made up, but it turned into like huge sales for them. And so it became a recurring character that they would make up these news stories about Bat Boy being spotted or having adventures or all sorts of garbage. Um... But anyway, just like the way you guys and I are influenced by things that are weird and ripped from the headlines, the creative team of Keith Farley, Brian Fleming, and Lawrence O'Keefe decided to co-opt this tabloid newspaper character and write a musical about it, which feels like something we would do, which I think. Absolutely. Which I think is totally. part of why I connect to this material is because I think my encounter with Bat Boy was kind of the first sort of planning the groundwork for realizing like, oh, there's like weird musical stuff that you can do outside the bounds of a traditional big classic musical on Broadway. And it's almost more appealing to me than the musical stuff that I would have liked as a kid. You know, growing up, you see different aesthetics or different things you're into. And I feel like Bat Boy was kind of a turning point for me of like, oh, this is some weird, dark shit and I love it. How do I get more? It's definitely not Hello, Dolly with Carol Jan. It's Jenner. definitely not, although I can love both of them, and I do. Um, yeah. So anyway, this show was first performed in California 
It opened off-Broadway in 2001, opened on the West End in 2004, and had a little surge of popularity as like a regional and college kind of a show. Scott McLean did it in Denver. Oh. He did it in Denver. I really? think huh. I can't remember if he was the Bat Boy, but that's how I know about it, but I didn't unfortunately get to see it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. So definitely regional. And then Larry O'Keefe, one of the writers, he went on to write Legally Blonde, which I also love. <gasps> Yeah. And Heather's the musical, which I never saw and have not heard yet. I, I didn't I either, and I, I wish I had. Same. Yeah, I, I heard wish good I'd things. Seen it. Yeah, me too. Um, so the plot of the show—I mean, it's a very—it's a very silly show, which is part of why I love it because it is so silly and yet so dark, which I feel like is very much my my writing aesthetic. Um, it's basically about this backwoods West Virginia town that discovers this mysterious creature who's half bat and half human, and it's the Bat Boy. Um, and he's taken in by a local family, and all sorts of weird things ensue. The the mother of the family kind of treats the Bat Boy as her own child, and the daughter of the family falls in love with the Bat Boy, and the Bat Boy has to eat human blood to survive, so people start showing up dead around town, and then there's all sorts of chaos and fighting and clashing among all the various townspeople in the Bat Boy, and it's 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 a the plot almost doesn't matter, but it actually is quite tight and entertaining. Does the Bat Boy eat his girlfriend? Ultimately, I'm glad you asked that. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) actually, I I actually forget the exact specifics, but I have a whole list of things I love about it. And one of the things that I love is that like almost everybody dies at the end, which may which may include the daughter and he may have eaten her or whatever. I forget. Forgive me, folks. But like. I love a show where it's like everybody dies at the end. Like, of course, totally. that's always what I want to do is like everybody dies at the end. I don't know. There's something very satisfying and anti-Broadway about like everybody you've come to love and care about over the last two hours is now dead. Um, other thing. And also because it's true. Also, yeah. You know, because it's true. Everybody else, everybody does die in the that's, end. Oh, that's so sad and true. I mean, wow. Wow, that's some deep thoughts. <laughs> stay, stay on brand here with no hope. The Honestly, you guys, this is why I connect with you because that is the kind of thing that I think about. It's, well, we do all die at the end. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> other good things good. about it. The music is fun and great. And here's why. So... The writers, they do dip into a lot of different genres for the score. There's some harder rock. There's some good country gospel. There's some regular old country music. There's some real traditional musical theater kind of stuff. But it's it all is cohesive and it all like it all just works together. It's like the opposite of Joseph and the Amazing Technical or Dreamcoat, which was like, <laughs> hey, let's just like I don't know, let's just pick a bunch of genres we like because it's funny. And they act the writers actually thought about what are the musical styles that would make sense that you would hear in a West Virginia backwoods town. You would hear some country, you would hear some gospel, you would hear some blues. And yes, this is musical theater, so we're gonna tie it all up in this beautiful musical theater bow. And they just they just do it really well. Make a joyful noise, my soul. Make a joyful noise, my soul. The lion will lie down with the lion. We'll walk hand in hand with Abraham. We'll cry to the sky, Jesus, here I am. Make a joyful noise, my soul. Hello? Oh, 
Um, it's got a lot of like silly tropes that I love in shows. For example, like there's a huge cast of characters, but there's a small cast. So the, a lot of the roles oh, are triple, no. double cast. Love that. And like, especially as like a younger person, to see an actor like put on a hat and suddenly have a different accent is like something I that I just love and like is super silly, but just very satisfying to me to be like, oh, look at these actors. Oh, now he's the mayor. Oh, now it's the priest. Oh, now it's the teenage boy. Like, look at the versatility. Well, I love it's that. So much fun for, it's so much fun for everyone. It is fun for I everyone. Mean, absolutely. And so many of those people that are uh, that are like you know chorus members that have actors. very limited roles mm-hmm. in a in a big musical are so fucking talented and so fucking capable and you yeah and you give them something like yeah. that then they get to yeah exactly they get to really oh, showcase yeah. who I, they are and what they're capable of. I'd love of. a musical of just like the best Broadway character actors just like playing different goofy parts. That would be very satisfying to me. Um, the plot and like the the storyline it's all very super campy and like soapy and dramatic and it takes itself super seriously in a way that it shows you that it's silly you know what i mean where it's like let me join your carpool no let me drive the car let me throw a barbecue or join you at the bar come and watch the ball game i'll bake a pecan pie and I will shake your hand when you drop by. So, like, what can you compare it to? Oh, want, um, like, did you see Reefer Madness? I was just ever? about oh, to bring that up. I did up. not see that. I, I was I was like, I feel like these two shows are very much paired in my mind. Um, yeah. I did you see Reefer Madness? I saw Shatter? both. I saw Bat Boy okay. and Reefer okay. Madness. Oh, cool. Cool. Although so I'm, I'm getting here. I just... I wanted to just get a sense if I was understanding the vibe and that was what I was getting, but okay. I'm sure busy knows, but like, I'm now struggling to remember because I know for a fact that Christian Campbell played the lead in reefer madness, but I'm indeed. wondering, I'm I won- saw that production. Okay. And I'm wondering if he was also bat boy, but I think he was, I think maybe he was not. And I may be making that up. I don't know. I know the, the most popular famous bat boy was Devin May. Hmm. But I don't. I, but there's been so many other productions, you know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, another thing I love, as I mentioned, the fact that it's a musical ripped from the tabloid headlines, which is just so fun. And like, I love the idea of anything can be fodder for a Broadway musical. And I think the stuff we work on together is is exactly that. It's like, what's the weirdest, darkest, real life human story we can find? Can we turn it into an entertaining musical? And that's like such a fun challenge. And they really succeeded here in doing that. Um, I love all like just the it's super dark again with like everybody dying at the end. Um, Here's a spoiler. If you've if you're planning to see this musical from 2001 and you don't want to be spoiled. Um, So there's details like the mother of the family that adopts the bat boy turns out to be his actual mother because she was raped by a bat and gave birth to a part human, part <laughs> bat, which is pretty fucking dark. That oh is God. really dark. Right? And Super amazing. dark. Yeah. Um, which then means that the bat boy's love interest, the daughter of the family, is actually his sister, and there's a lot of <gasps> incestual overtones. Oh, oh my God. God, I love incest in musicals, right? and it just doesn't pop up very much. Gotta keep it in the family. <laughs> Oh, 
fact that he's like thirsty for blood and trying to sort of assimilate into human society while at the same time needing to like drain people's blood. It's like he's trying to balance both of these things. Um, Just these details where it's like, this is super dark, but yet I'm laughing my head off because the writing is so sharp and witty that it's like, I don't know, it just works really well. Um, Like I said, I feel like this is a turning point musical for me. And actually, the only reason I know about it is because I did it in college, which was a time of also kind of that transition from like the musicals you saw as a child and loved as a child. The Sound of Music, Fiddler on the Roof, Hello, Dolly, whatever, those big classic Golden Age musicals. And realizing like there's this whole new world of people who are writing musicals right now. And like I did this, I think, in like 2004 and that and it was only on off Broadway, like in 2001. So like three years later, I was in school doing this show and to realize they oh, had wow. just written it and like that there's these smaller chamber musicals or off off Broadway things at the same time, like Urinetown was happening. And like, right. that, I think that was written in the same year. And like this sort of new world of like. Broadway musicals don't have to be this traditional thing, but they can be dark and weird and funny and cool. And then like after college and moving to New York City later and realizing the shows that I was drawn to were still in the same vein. Things like like I remember seeing Gutenberg, the musical, and just being like, I've never laughed so hard at like two guys talking about the printing press or like title of show, which was just like the most meta, like bizarre experience of like musicals and just realizing that people were doing different things with the form was like amazing and I really think this was like if I hadn't sort of experienced the show or been in it or seen it or whatever like I don't know if I would have made this transition to like the point where we're collaborating together on this stuff that's super dark and needing to strike the right tone and like needing that needing reference points in my own head of like what's a way to handle dark material with like uh, that'll still make people laugh and enjoy themselves, and I think Bat Boy is like a perfect example of how that was accomplished. Oh, I'm so sad that I haven't seen it, and it probably is one of those things that, unless you catch it regionally, like it's probably not likely going to come back to New York or or you know probably. go to Broadway. I think so. um, probably but not. there's a there's a there's a cast recording, right? So I can chat. I can listen to that. There should be a cast recording. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember. It was so fun to listen to you sort of recount details of the plot because, I I mean, it was so long ago, obviously, yeah. that I saw this. And, uh, and, and I just remembered very, very little. It was more just the experience, sort of a, a lot of the same of what, of, of what you already mentioned, of just seeing something like with that tone and very like dark and weird and, and like not having it have to be this like big Broadway musical, but people were still generally like very well aware of it. I remember when it came out, um, you know, it was like, it was a thing in New York. Oh, um, really? And I was like, yeah, like, this is like, this is the level of what I want to do. And it was like, it was like heartening to see that there could be something that would attract some like modicum of, uh, of, of success, whatever that means, um, and be like super dark and weird, but like well written and well crafted. Um yeah, and then like you said, all, there were a lot of things that came out around that same period of time. Like we already mentioned, Reefer Madness. You mentioned like uh, title of show. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm well, sure title of show is much later, yeah. but not you're, much. You're in but, town you know. was the same time. You're in town. Yeah, you're in yeah, town for sure. Yeah, 
I rem- I saw you're in town. I don't understand why I didn't see Batboy, but you know, whatever. I don't remember. You know, it, it experiences experiences like that um, inspired Tim and I to submit our first musical, Dose the Musical, to the New York International Fringe Festival and be summarily rejected. Yes. How many times? <laughs> yes, that was that was only oh. the uh, well we were rejected by the fringe like five times i think before i got a play in so and then we had years. much better odds but many years it, it took many years it, it took a while it does yeah 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 um well busy i thank you so much for joining us as our first guest uh we are going to have you back i hope that you will if you won't, if you don't mind, I, I am busy that day, but um, okay. <laughs> if you're not scarred by the experience, call my secretary. I think, I mean, even just like talking about I, who knows, maybe some people will be more interested in the shows where we talk more about musicals and some people will be interested in, in us talking about working on, sh- on shit. Um, because I was finding the discussion really interesting and um, I hope you do too. If you're still listening Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We are No Hope. We are Tim Allmiller, Scott, Scott Schneider, Schneider, question mark, and Busy <laughs> Coy. I don't know who I am anymore. And we are No Hope, and we will be back to entertain you, bore you, frustrate, antagonize you, antagonize you uh, very, very soon. So, uh, as Christian Slater says in Heather's, sayonara. Hey!